you're a veteran or military spouse of an early stage startup or small business and feel like you're making it up as you go, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to The Transition, where we demystify the entrepreneurial experience for veterans and military spouses who've already made or looking to make the transition from the military into entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, the voice of the bunker. I'm a Marine Corps veteran, social entrepreneur, and member of the Bunker Labs branding team. On this episode of The Transition, I'm joined by Yusef Henriquez, a former Army combat medic and founder of Indigenous AI, a Black-owned and service-disabled veteran-owned small business genomics company that's building a blockchain-encrypted biorepository of Indigenous and African genetic data for early disease prevention, detection, and drug discovery. After his twin daughters, Kayla and Kiara, were diagnosed at 14 years old with a rare and incurable eye disease, Yusuf became frustrated watching his daughters jump from one medicine to the other because their body didn't react well to the various medicines due to their genetic makeup. From there, he set out on a mission to study the human genome, find a cure for his daughters, and provide equity and health care for Black and Indigenous people across the globe. On one side of the coin, Indigenous AI educates people of color of their genetic blueprint that reflects their past, present, and future health disparities. On the other side of the coin, through their artificial intelligence, they're driving precision healthcare through the aggregation of more diverse data to provide more equitable healthcare solutions. Youssef represents the best and brightest of our community, using entrepreneurship to tackle a hard problem, which is affecting millions of people across the world. On the show, he shares the origins of indigenous AI, how he managed to secure funding for the venture, and the importance of equity in the healthcare space. Before you hear from Yusuf and I, make sure you subscribe to the Transition Newsletter at the link in the show notes. This episode of The Transition is brought to you by MetLife Foundation and their commitment to supporting veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs. In addition, MetLife Foundation provides mentorship and financial health resources to veterans and military spouses transitioning into the workforce. As always, I hope you enjoyed today's show and that accelerates you on your own entrepreneurial journey. Yusuf, my brother from another mother, my Bunker Labs OG, it's a pleasure to have you back to the bunker, man. I told Yusuf before we went live, like, this is his victory lap. We got to make sure we give him his flowers, y'all, because this brother has been grinding since when? You, when did we connect with each other? 2018? 2018, yeah, 2018. 2018, been grinding, hustling. Same as me. And so it's like super dope for me to come on here with a peer, you know, and celebrate your success and share your knowledge and insights with the bunker community, man. Because, you know, when, when the more of us that win as veteran entrepreneurs, we show others out there what's possible, especially those of us that had struggle getting access to capital, you know, and went up against all the the nonsense that can be found in the in the entrepreneurial ecosystem, you know, the bias and all this stuff. So for you to keep persevering and still striving, man, it's an honor to see. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for being on. Always a pleasure. You know, when we get together, a lot of of gems gets dropped. (laughs) So, Yusuf, please take a moment and introduce yourself to our listeners today. Absolutely. Yusuf Enriquez, founder and CEO of Indigenous AI, uh, building a precision genomics company to look at bringing more uh, diversity to clinical trial using uh, next-gen sequencing platform. Uh, the goal we're trying to do is to help identify areas of health disparities in our black and brown community so that when the next pandemic comes, uh, we were four times 
uh, the rate that were uh, be dying from from COVID. And so a lot of that was under un- underlying health conditions directly associated with health disparities, like sickle cell, immune compromised disease that are, are rampant in our in our black and brown community. So indigenous is trying to help bridge that gap, bring in more diversity, women and minorities in the trials and end up with better drug targets that uh, is beneficial for all of the population and not just traditionally right now is 95 percent European white males that are are in most of the drug trials that that has been approved drug approvals for the last 40, 50 years. This man has done. I don't know anybody that's done more programs than me and except Yusuf. <laughs> and I feel like we've done a lot of the same ones, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. but you couldn't get, you said it, you said you couldn't get in the VR. Yeah, no. Um, you know, I, I, uh, this is like my fourth, fifth, uh, startup. I think I pitched and, um, I pitched uh, my previous company, true genomics to bunker lab and then, uh, code clear, which was a, uh, diagnostic test that I was doing for COVID. It got some funding from NIH to kick it off. And, uh, yeah, just didn't, didn't make the cut, but you know, for me, it's always that that's what keeps, keeps me going. Uh, the more no's I get, the more energized I get. Cause, uh, you know, I, I know, you know, I have intentions and in what are some of the things I'm doing and you're going to get those no's. So you got to get ready and brace yourself for them. What other programs have you done in the veteran entrepreneurial ecosystem? Man, yeah, I uh, got introduced to Bunker Labs. I've done uh, the Veteran Future Labs uh, twice, so I'm a um, a two time participant for, for for that one as well. <laughs> they gotta be loving you now. They gotta be loving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did a nice piece on me a couple of a couple of months ago, uh, highlighting the many hats of a serial entrepreneur. So. Um, built a good relationship with the folks there at the VFL. You know, for me, I'm always supporting my vets. So a lot of these programs are maybe seemed a little bit more senior given my background. But uh, I believe that, you know, again, we got to help each other in these communities. So I do those programs like I know you do just to help other veterans get, you know, get get focused and see what the possibilities are. Because uh, if I win, our community wins. Right. So I, I always spend at least a little bit of my time with the with, with whatever veteran organization I can uh, in order to, you know, if there's other vets out there that want to start business and still having that, that hesitancy. Um, yeah. I always try to give my, my, my two cents and guidance. That's right, man. We got to add to the circle. Cause uh, you know, in the early stages, it's the blind leading the blind. So, <laughs> you know, sometimes <laughs> you got to have somebody in there with some real revenue that's raised some capital that's, you yeah, know, been yeah, in the game yeah. a little bit and it adds, it amplifies, you know, so it is important. And kudos to you for always circling back, you know, sending that elevator back down and making sure you're lifting as you climb yourself. Absolutely. Now, did you do Patriot Boot Camp or no? So Patriot Boot Camp, uh, I think we weren't able to do for what, whatever reason when we uh, when it was introduced to us. Uh, I think we we're in the middle of trying to really build out our, our my previous company product. So gotcha. just didn't have yeah the 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 time and then on this one, um, I know a lot of the stuff was virtual. So we just decided to pick certain. Uh, we did a founder institute, uh, South Africa, because I was really trying to penetrate international markets, and so I tried to find an accelerator program that had a little bit more reach outside um, the U.S. because the importance of getting more 
uh, Africa genome in these samples are just as important because of the, uh, you know, all life started in Africa. Unfortunately, for some people don't believe that. Uh, but you could imagine the genetic diversity of those people that have never left the continent, how much value that could bring to um, solving some of these large healthcare issues in our in our minority communities. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I would love for you to tell our listeners, I know you did a big raise recently. Um, could you share that? And then I want you to take off your armor, you know, where we're going to get open and honest about, you know, what we're struggling with as entrepreneurs. Yeah. Yeah, no. Um, so yeah, I raised the $1.5 million, um, recently from a South Africa investor, which was surprising to the, the VC community because, um, it's been a struggle. Um, but we were able to raise the money because the, one of the investors were part of the mentor as part of the accelerator. So he had heard me pitch over the last six, seven months, started watching the market. So I felt that was important to learn because that's probably where um, I think there's going to be some nuggets where more mentors that get into these accelerator pro get to hear from veteran entrepreneur and black founders a little bit earlier than just when they get that, that pitch deck in front of them. So these were guys that were watching me from like March, April, hearing my pitch get better and better and starting to hear what the problem and the solution is and actually start seeing what the marketplace was saying. And so immediately when I got out of the um, the accelerator in October of last year, opened our pre-seed um, round of $3 million and we were able to bring in $1.5 million. Um, after that, we were able to pitch J&J and were able to win an award um, of $175,000 for our technology. Um, and, and so that kind of kicked everything off. I'm up to about close to $2 million, just raised another 150000 um, from some angel investors. So, uh, things is, yeah, things are picking up and, uh, finally getting some traction after we were able to prove out our concept. My brother, I'm so proud of you, man. That is amazing. I'm telling y'all, I seen this man at Bunker Lab, New York city events. He ain't live in New York city. You know, <laughs> he's coming out here to go to stuff, taking advantage of VFL. I mean, this man has been putting in that work. And for me, it's just so humbling to see because, you know, there is no overnight success, really. It's that, like, 10-year overnight success that people say. But, you know, it's been hard, man. We've done gone through a pandemic. We've lost people. People died. But yeah. to still see, you know, us out here striving and winning, man, it's just such a blessing to see. And I hope, you know, Yusuf's story really inspires y'all to stay in the fight um, because it has not been easy, as I'm sure he's going he's gonna to tell us as we continue this interview. But, Yusuf, what I would love for you to do is go ahead and take off your armor. So, you know, we're giving you your flowers. You raised the money. He smoked the J&J Quickfire Challenge. Let's be honest. Smoked it. Came in there ready to go, confident. Financials tight. Deck tight. He's just ready. But, you know, all we see is the winning in these social media days, right? What's going on behind the scenes? What's the, what's What are you struggling with now currently? Yeah, man, look, uh, even though what we've done has been uh, exceptional, you know, uh, Crunchbase kind of highlights, they now finally highlight Black and, and Latina, Latinx founders where you're able to kind of highlight the companies that are raising the money. I see the numbers going up, uh, but for all of those wins that you see there, there's a lot of loss, right? A lot of loss. Um, I think there's a little bit still of that hesitancy of Black and, and Latinx uh, founders raising the type of money that other, um, 
you know, ethnic groups do, like, you know, white, white males. So just to give you an example, you know, my first company, I raised $2 million, which is quite achievable. But when I compared it to the other eight companies were on the 10 companies to watch list in 2019, 2020, all of those companies had raised five times what I raised in the same time period. Um, and so that's the biggest struggle because you're looking at these technology that's comparative to yours, right? This is apples to apples. This is not apples to oranges. These are tech products that you're looking at that has the same value, you know, the the, the value prop. But for whatever reason, you, you know, you're getting the lower valuation. You're getting, you know, a lot more hesitancy with that first funding, which is everything, right? That first, you know, 12 to 18 months is where they call Death Valley. And so you got to be able to survive to get through that. But, you know, I think, you know, for us, you know, a lot of people didn't believe in building capacity on the continent. So that was the first thing I was struggling with. So a lot of the U.S. investors, they want something that they could go right down the street here in the U.S. and put their arms around. But the science, you know, and what we're trying to build would benefit from us helping the, the continent of Africa build these new novel technologies. So as you know, technology in, in Africa is about 10, 15 years behind. So, you know, you, you might have the new, you know, x-ray machine here. The one that you're going to see in Africa is probably version three. You are version 10 right now. So there's a lot of utility um, that could come from the continent. However, it's just not been a place where investors want to put their money. And then on top of that, I'm a black founder saying that I'm trying to raise money to build capacity on a continent that I don't live on. So, you know, these are things that I think, you know, create these these barriers to us getting funding because we weren't getting the funding with the solid technology, the team, you hear about it all the time. And when you check those boxes and you're still not raising the money and you're on that brink of novel innovation, not being able to get to market, not because it's not good tech, it's just that, you know, we don't fit the the mold of, of what, you know, these tech in, investors is looking for. Yeah, no, you're, the, you're spot on, man. I appreciate you for sharing that. And with regards to, you know, sometimes there's a sense of like you've made it, right? And I know for a lot of venture capitalists or founders in the VC space, venture-backed startups, right, we celebrate the raise, right? But there's still a whole lot of work to be done. There's a company to be built. So, you know, what is it like on the other side of that raise? Like, what does it feel like? Uh, man, you know, again, you take, you know, you want to take the win because it is definitely something that you want to, you know, uh, make awareness of the accomplishment. Um, what that does is it, it gives you a little bit of runway for you to actually bring the idea, right, to, to life. And so that takes, you know, the, the determination, the people, you know, the uh, having the, the right team, putting together that team. And so even in my case, you know, trying to build something that's not even here globally, you know, we're talking about any business model right now that's not thinking globally is already, you know, dead in the water. And so, yeah, so so thinking globally, thinking about all the regulations and all of the other things that come with building a company globally, you then have to start reaching into, you know, reaching out to people that, you know, have the expertise and the skill set to help you do that. But it's tough because again, these are, um, you know, unfortunately for us in our community to just get up and walk away from a nine to five job, right. To fo solely focus on a startup, but the raise helps give that, that, that little bit of, of credibility 
to where you'll keep some of the, you know, the strategic guys engaged enough to say, hey, we made a raise. That means people are interested in it so that we could keep that talent so we could get to a final uh, MVP product, which is the toughest thing, is to keeping the team small and keeping them engaged so that we could get to that next raise in order to, you know, be able to breathe a little bit. Now, you know, I think going back to what you said at the beginning about how hard it is for underrepresented founders. And for me, to be quite frank, this is why I'm involved with Bunker Labs, you know, because I'm on that be so good they can't ignore you tip. And guys like us that have gone through the flames and the fire, we're still in it. But we can, like we say, send that elevator back down. And this is one of the ways I'm able to do that through this podcast and creating content for the community. And so what I want to do now, I do want to acknowledge, you know, our while we're here today, which is Bunker Labs, a national network of veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs uh, connect, dedicated to helping the military connect community start their own businesses. I remember meeting you in New York City, man. And it's just like it's so freaking dope, because if it wasn't for Bunker Labs, we might not have met. Right, right. Yeah, no, look, I, I, I believe in the community. Like you said, I don't even live in New York. <laughs> Um, but I was attending events. Yeah. So uh, I think there's value with creating those communities. Um, and I think, yeah, the, you know, I think the good thing about military communities, we're a little bit more open to sharing information yeah. amongst ourselves. Once we understand that we've wore the uniform, it doesn't matter what branch, but, you know, we have that, you know, that, that level of, uh, you know, familiarity with each other that will share information on what was being able to help that veteran go through when they when they were doing their startup and so yeah i love the communities man the vfl you know bunker labs i try to attend as many of them as i can um in the areas just so you know whether i'm sharing knowledge or receiving knowledge from those communities i think it's a major importance and, and definitely shout out to bunker labs because they were part of the the quick fire challenge um that was uh put together by johnson and johnson innovation group and so, you know, I had the ability to pitch to to a couple of the members there. Yeah, let's talk about that real quick. Tell our listeners about the the Johnson & Johnson uh, challenge. Yeah, so um, J&J has a strong commitment to uh, veteran uh, employees and hiring vets. But on the other side, you know, they uh, announced a quick fire challenge that was solely for veteran-led companies, so veterans that were leading these pharmaceutical and medical device companies. And then they had another uh, veteran healthcare challenge. These were technology that could benefit the veteran healthcare system. And so Bunker Labs was one of the partners that uh, J&J brought in uh, to help uh, do the you know the pitch, set up the, the environment. And so uh, technologies were submitted by veteran-led companies. You know, you had to go through all the documentation to show that it's a veteran-led company. And so we had the opportunity to pitch, made it to the semifinals, and then um, we were able to pitch in December of 2021. And we were selected as one of the awardees for one of the veteran-led challenge, which was up to 250K and also uh, exposure to the Johnson & Johnson Labs, which there's about eight or nine of them across the country, which pretty much what that is, is a incubator uh, for you to, to work with some of the brightest in Johnson & Johnson's pharmaceutical companies, and then also be vetted by J&J. If it's a technology that actually works out past proof of concept, you could end up uh, working with J&J directly and building a partnership. 
And so through that challenge, you got to meet the CEO of Johnson Johnson, who's also a veteran, right? West Point grad. And how impactful is that for you at this stage in your venture? Um, Look, you know, it, it, it gives that extra fire to know that we have veterans, you know, um, in multiple areas, not just, you know, uh, certain industry. I, I wasn't anticipating that uh, the CEO was was a veteran. Um, so yeah, didn't get to meet him yet, but we were able to pitch to some of his senior management team. Um, and so I started looking at the history of, of J&J and, and yeah, a lot of their C-suite is a couple of, they have a military and veteran um, family group that's led by another veteran um, as well. So it's a, it's a company that really believes in, you know, the talent pool that comes out of, um, you know, out of the military. But now I'm even more excited because they're also focusing on entrepreneurship, which, you know, before it was more, you know, employee, you know, the talent that comes out of, of, of the military working for J and J, but this, this challenge, which I think was the first one ever, really start to show even J&J's commitment to, you know, uh, supporting uh, veteran-led companies that have innovative ideas in, in healthcare and pharmaceuticals. So listen, take out pen and paper, right? When we start sharing these things on our social, the J&J Quick Fire Challenge, the USAA, you know, 100-year anniversary pitch competition, when we start sharing this stuff, man, take advantage of it. Because again, I won 25000 through the Street Chair Foundation. Yusuf won 175000 through the Quick Fire Challenge, right? So these are, these are opportunities to get capital, right? So please take advantage of it. We're not just sharing it for vanity. These are great opportunities for the community. And uh, I appreciate you sharing that, uh, Yusuf, and hopes, hopefully that uh, makes our listeners, you know, be more proactive with uh, applying for these things. Yeah, non-dilutive capital, to put it. Non-dilutive. <laughs> So, yeah, these are uh, opportunities where you don't have to give up any equity. So that's that's always a beautiful thing. So, um, so yeah, those are I, I piggyback on what what Mike's saying. Uh, yeah, that's why I do these things. You know, I want to I want to reach, you know, reach back past the information. It's not going to do anything to me. Right. Uh, I want to see more of our vets um, winning these things, because, as I said, the more veterans we see, it was it was pivotal for me to watch Mike actually go up there and win that twenty five k that day. I happened to be there, so those are the type of things that you you know you're aware that are tangible. You know that there's an opportunity to win, um, and yeah, you just uh, put you know put put the packet together and submit. Uh, you know if it's an area that your your company could be uh, challenged, uh, do the challenge in and uh, go for it. But uh, yeah, that's definitely an avenue and, and vehicle where I think we haven't really explored a lot as minority founders is uh, getting in these pitch competitions um, and then, yeah, telling your story and, and, and come away with some non-dilutive capital that could kind of get you to the next round. Speaking of stories, take us back, man. Take us to back to how you became a veteran entrepreneur. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, it's uh, you know, I think everybody's through experience um and life tragedy that kind of hence, you know, walk your path. I've been in healthcare my whole life, started off as a combat medic uh in the US Army. Um so it's just always had a a knack for healthcare. Um but, you know, tragedy in 2012 kind of led to um a marine that I uh, used to be at my kids aftercare. Um, as a, as one of the providers, I took his life to suicide. And so 
Um, being a researcher and background and, and trying to figure out, you know, how do we start identifying some of these, um, you know, disease disorders that were, you know, plaguing in our military community and veteran community. Uh, two years after that, on 2014, while I'm working in New York on, you know, PTSD research, find out that my daughters have a rare genetic eye condition. Um, you know, just a routine visit, happen to have some good health care, working for the government, right? And so we're able to do an eye checkup every year. And so when they were uh, 14 years old, we were uh, twin, my twin daughters, my oldest daughters, uh, were identified by New York Eye and Ear um, to have retinitis pigmentosa. So that was the other, you know, tragedy in my career that really had me doubling down on how genetics play a role um, in healthcare and how can I help, you know, uh, speed up research that could help potentially save my daughter's eyesight, which statistically by age 40, they should be completely blind. And so, you know, those two tragedies in my life within that two to three year time period kind of had the motivation to start looking at genes and how genes are affected through, you know, uh, whatever mechanism through trauma or just inherited you know, disease that we get from uh, our descendants and, and parents. And so um, in 20, um, 2017, the patent that w- was approved at Mount Sinai that I worked on when I was working for the Department of Veteran Affairs looking for PTSD biomarkers ended up getting approved. And I was able to convince Mount Sinai that I would be the guy to kind of help carry it into commercialization. And so uh, 2017, not knowing anything about, uh, you know, VC investment, just a passion and a passion to drive, you know, commercialize a product that I think would benefit our veteran community, which is just looking at predisposition. Who had a predisposition to some of the traumatic uh, episodes that, you know, of course, as as military members, we go through because that's part of the reason why we serve. And so that's been the space that I've been for the last 10 years is looking at genetics not only how it affects mental health and how, you know, the genes are affected by that fight or flight, but now health disparities, the pandemic, you know, what are some of the immunocompromised, you know, disease areas that affect minority communities, um, how we can start looking for those earlier using um, a new innovative technology called genome sequencing. That's badass. And one thing I want to say about Yusuf too is when I had him on one of my other podcasts, Confessions of a Native Son, he was always rocking the uh, stop soldier suicide. So this is not somebody that's just talking about it. I mean, he was living it, actively being out there um, and, and spreading that message. Now, Yusuf, I know your educational background, but for our listeners, can you bring them up to speed? Yeah. Um, uh, so my whole career been in healthcare. So 25 years of healthcare since 96. So been in the Healthcare space for a long time, uh, biochemistry undergrad from Howard University. So uh, studied, you know, this is my field and area. And so started uh, my master's program up at John Hopkins. Haven't fully completed it yet, but it's in biostatistics and risk science. So started looking at epidemiology, uh, worked for the FDA. So spent a lot of time doing drug and device approval. So a lot of the experience I have that came from the military, being a medic, 
and how to use the medical equipment and the devices also carried over to me being quite exceptional working in the government at the FDA. So I used to do the device approvals for the the, the medical devices that gets used in the hospitals. And then I got hired by the Center for Drugs where with my biochemistry degree, I was able to do um, FDA approvals on drug products that were coming out of the, the Food and Drug Administration for approval. The reason I think it's important to share that is this concept of founder product fit, right? Like you are the person that's set up to lead this venture. You know, you've got the educational background. So for me, when we were talking early on, I was blown away that the challenge you had with raising capital given the expertise you already brought. I'm like, you're freaking at John Hopkins. You studied biochemistry undergrad. You were a combat medic. And like, you check every box as a guy that like knows what the hell he's talking about. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and that's where that, you know, um, man, uh, imposter syndrome kicks in, right? It's like, you're looking at this. Um, you're looking at the individuals that are starting raising all this money. And you're like, well, uh, the, the technology is solid. The proof of concept is there. You know, what else could it be? You know, I have the medical background. I have the FDA background. So, yeah, to your point, uh, I think that's what some founders struggle with because, you know, you've done all your, you know, you've done, uh, checked all the box. You, you've done everything you think you possibly can. However, you're still at the juncture of not being able to build out this proof of concept just because, you know, um, the faith for you as a, a black founder is not there and it lies in the hands of the VC. And unfortunately for us, there's not a lot of, you know, minority VC capital firms that, you know, that goes around, you know, and, and look for innovative technology. And so we got to be creative, you know, you got to make your own path. And so this, like we just mentioned, the, those pitch competitions and quick fire challenge helps you to sharpen up, you know, your, your, your tools so that, you know, when you get an opportunity like to pitch in front of the largest pharmaceutical company in the world, right, you make sure you, you, you nail those, right? Those are the ones you want to nail out the box. And so you, you can really think about it. I've been preparing for that pitch for over a year and a half until it happened. So I'm interested in learning how are you able to, to have this idea, right? Because there's a lot there. Right. You know, with the, the genomics and all this other stuff, how are you able to package this into a venture? And what was your journey like in order to get into this world oil machine? So that way, by the time you did step up in front of Johnson and Johnson, you were ready to go. Yeah, I think what happened for me is I always I'm, I'm very methodical. Right, First company, there was already a patent around it. So that was like, hey, this is what it is now. I believe this should be in the future. And so I took something that was already, you know, kind of developed, which I was involved in, and then wanted to enhance it to the 2.0 version. Uh, with Indigenous, this was, you know, everything brand new. COVID happened. And so what my time was spent in my living room was helping task force like NYU task force and other task force figure out ways how to reinvent CPAP machines into ventilators. So all through COVID, the first couple of months in what March, uh, when COVID hit, uh, I still was busy trying to figure out ways how we could help the community. We started seeing the high death rise and so masks and those things. And um, then the opportunity in May, June was to start looking at uh, the lack of diversity because 
somebody like me, like you just said, I knew the drug trials were already 95% European white males. So, you know, you don't have to convince me. And I think to your point, I had that credibility to create a hackathon. So we did a hackathon with MIT. Of, and one of the tracks was lack of diversity in clinical trials. And we had a lot of response. And some of the big areas was trust. Trust was the biggest area on why there's a lack of diversity, you know, due to, you know, the Henrietta Lack stories, uh, Tuskegee Airmen, uh, syphilis trials. So, you know, there's some hesitancy there. So I really flushed out that hackathon to kind of get, you know, from about a thousand members that participated. A lot of it was HBCU. So I, I wanted to be very intentional. And so the ideas and concept that came out of that hackathon is the foundation of what Indigenous was started on. Um, how do we go about it is the next step. So I had to create a team. Um, and so created a team that, you know, could address the concerns of investors around, you know, you got to have a tech person. Cybersecurity is going to be important because privacy around genetics. And so, you know, I'm pretty good at picking the right piece to the puzzle when I start to assemble a team because, and then also I'm also picking the team because I need, I know I need to meet that threshold for these investors to say, all right, the team is not a concern. So to your point, I've never had a VC said that I don't have the right team for the, for the, for the, for the venture. It's just hard to turn over them funding the, the initiative, which is the, the toughest part. And I don't know if there's any calculation for that. Other than they're just not familiar with, you know, a, a team of black HBCU. I mean, my company now is 95, 90% Howard alumni. So I have PhDs, MDs, which is pretty unprecedented. It is unprecedented. What, what, what makes you do that? What makes you go out of your way to do that? Because, you know, a lot of times they say, oh, we can't find talent or there's not people. But you're being in, very intentional about very intentional. your A team. Absolutely. I mean, you know, two two folds. Uh, my veterans, right? I I, I want to see more veteran-led companies, high-caliber companies, right? You know, we're talking about pharmaceutical and medical device companies here. Uh, we're not really represented in those areas, right? These are your high net worth, big dollar. You know, I mean, you 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 see it all over the news. These are trillion. J and J is a trillion-dollar company. Um, and so I'm very intentional on making sure that, uh, to your point. We need to see, because that's where some of the trust is. I'm being intentional because we can no longer have, you know, other institutions do what we could do for our community ourselves. So my goal has always been to show that representation, you know, women, minority scientists, impact advisory board, because we have the talent. The talent is here. That's not the problem. The problem is the funding. And so I've been very intentional to check those boxes, as you said. So it's very hard. For, it was very hard for J&J to tell me no on that quick fire challenge. <laughs> Yo, I, I always tell people I'm Muhammad Ali. In this case, you were Muhammad Ali. Jaw been <laughs> broke, been knocked down. You was bad. You, know? yeah. you was ready to go. You seasoned. You were vet at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, I think, you know, what, what that does is it shows that, you know, one by one, you know, we're going to chip the barriers away because I think that's what you're going to need to see. Right. Um, you know, I did this the first time I took five African-American males out to Silicon Valley. 
never never been done before on a genomics company. So, you know, um, so I'm very intentional with that because I believe that's one way I can help change the landscape, right? I'm hoping the more VCs that sees these type of teams assembled together and that we can raise the money, then that takes that, that level of risk that they think exists, but it, it doesn't. It's just, you know, um, that's just how the, the industry has been. And I see it more in industry like these that there's just not a lot of representation anyway. Um, so that, that's been the tough part to being in a genomic space where there's only a few of us anyway. So uh, getting investors to kind of see that, change that mindset that we do have, you know, African-American scientists and women scientists, minority scientists here that could do do the job just just as well as their white counterpart. Has there been any pushback when you have this team assembled? Have been, has it brought up any questions or discussions uh, with those you're raising capital from? Um, of course, you know. Uh, yeah, be honest, you know it, it's uh, it's it's always uh, startling. I, I wait till about three slides down in the pitch deck to kind of hit them with the shock and awe. You save it to the end. (laughs) (laughs) So that's very intentional too, but um, yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I've, I've, I've had some real uncomfortable, um, you know, meetings uh, with investors, but, you know, again, I think if they understood the intentional about what I'm doing, you know, it wouldn't be so alarming, but unfortunately, yeah, it's still uh, a little bit, you know, I've had folks excited, wanted to hear more, willing to, you know, even said that they would write a check. And then, you know, once they see the team of predominantly all, you know, male and female you know, minorities, then yeah, the, the conversation kind of dies after a couple of weeks. <laughs> they start hopping out the window, sliding out the window. You ever see that meme from The Simpsons? You know, the principal starts sneaking out the window. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, let me ask you this, right? You're... Obviously, you go from, you know, not really having any entrepreneurial background, right? You had the SME, you know, the knowledge and experience, but then you go to launching your first venture, raising capital for it, um, you know, have an exit out of that, start another one, do a hackathon, right? So you built up this business acumen. Where did you get that from? And what was that process like to go from, I don't know anything about entrepreneurship to like, yo, I'm building my A team. Hey, CTO, this is what I need here, you know, to to, to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, man, you know what, man? You know, I, I got to credit a lot of it to, you know, just that military experience, man. Um, you know, I joined military at 17. And so I think, you know, what that does, it, it instilled that can-do attitude, right? Uh, we'll figure it out. You know, plus I'm a medic, so I got to figure it out anyway. So, uh, I think, you know, just watching, you know, my parents, my dad was all, always an entrepreneurial guy, you know, when we were growing up, uh, started his own trucking company. Um, and so, you know, I've been around, you know, business folks. The only thing is, this is like brand new. This is science. So, you know, I've I picked up a lot of, you know, my entrepreneurship, just, just being driven by passion. And willing to learn because, you know, these are things that I was so deeply passionate about that I want to get up and do every day. So knew nothing about entrepreneurship, do nothing about what a safe note versus a convertible note. So I just studied, you know, it just you got to if you if you if you're that serious about you know what you're trying to bring um, to the market, 
then you're willing to kind of roll that sleeve up and, and do and do some of the things that yeah I had no clue about. Uh, that's all been over the last. I think this year will be my fifth year and uh, since 2017 that I've been in the entrepreneurship, fundraising, and building uh, successful you know uh, venture startup with, with teams. Uh, and yeah, and so you're gonna have to bring on you know again your strong is your weakest link. So I also learned from other people as well, right? I make sure that my advisory board have sound, you know, business folks. And I'm learning every day, still learn. I'm still considered a young CEO. Uh, but the opportunity the, and the, the appetite to learn, like you said, um, always learning. And so I think because I take that approach um, of always, you know, making sure that I'm learning from other smart people, that things that I don't know, that then keeps me uh, well-informed. But you're still going to need that team with their specific expertise. Uh, but what's been very uh, instrumental for me is, you know, being able to get folks to join my vision, right? Uh, I'm able to kind of sell the folks the vision and then, you know, being able to go out and execute it has been, that buy-in is, is, is super important when you're trying to build that team. One of the things that when you're raising capital, right, you've got the pitch deck, you've got to nail the presentation. And one thing that I know that like a lot of people do is they can just do the same pitch deck over and over and get no, no, no. But are they taking and learning like, hey, OK, I need to get tighter on the go to market or I need to get our financials tighter. Right. That feedback loop, you know, because I like to say business is a contact sport. Right. Like yeah, if I yeah. want to get better at boxing. You know, you can hit the bags all you want, but you got to get in the ring, you got to spar, you get punched in the face, and now you're like, okay, I need to get my heads up. Talk yeah. to us about your growth in pitching and fundraising. Yeah, man, look, uh, yeah, I, I went back. So interesting you bring that up. I even went back. I recorded some of my old pitch and just watched the growth. Um, I think it's important. One of the big things, like I said, I'm open. I, maybe it's just, you know, the way I am, I'm, I'm always open to that feedback. I'm always trying to get better. Even though I think I, I, I did a five out of five pitch, you know, I want to know. I think I just did a pitch. I got a 4.8, and I so I emailed the, the folks. <laughs> I was like, can you tell me who gave me that, that two point less, that point two point less? They were like, why? I was like, I just want to know. And if, if they could provide that feedback, just giving me a number doesn't mean anything to me. I like to know, you know, the, the, the details of, you know, what you thought I could do better. And so I think that's been something that's benefited me over these last four years that I'm, I'm, I'm all, I got thick skin. So yeah, you, you tell me, Hey, this just didn't resonate with me. Um, I take all of that back and I, and I take it back, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Some have come off a little condescending, but you know, for me, I don't even look at it like that. There may be some truth or, or not in what I'm getting the feedback, but I want to make sure I vet it, try it out. And if it actually just doesn't work, it doesn't work. So I, I've been um, quite fortunate, you know, to get, you know, get in front of the room of some, you know, some some high level VC firms in order to pitch. And so those no's have kind of been, you know, the result of me getting these wins now. When you're trying to explain something as complex as genomics. Are you being a lot more intentional about the investors that you're going after now, you know, and then also when you're when you're conveying this story, right, it's probably got to be a lot more story driven than just the pure data and stuff on the on the slides, because a lot of times we're creating new business models. We're creating things that haven't existed before. So we've got to sell the vision to potential investors, to customers, et cetera. 
Talk to us about that process. Yeah, man. Uh, like I said, I think that's where I, I uh, strive pretty well is just creating that vision. Um, and, you know, so over the last 10 years, you've just started seeing the growth in this life science space around how we can start looking at our genes to determine, you know, how to go for the treatment. And so, you know, vision wise, you know, it takes a lot, you know, always, you know, experience works, um, but also tragedy, you know, in certain areas. For me, I was very intentional of the fact that, you know, this is something that I was day-to-day living. I couldn't find uh, clinical trials for my daughters that, you know, one, they're pediatric kids, two, they are black women, black females. So they were already a double whammy in, in trying to find, you know, solutions. The one solution at the time would have caused complication on their reproductive health as they got older. So that wasn't an option for us. So I was like, well, look, there needs to be some advancement in gene therapy, uh, drug discovery that really encompasses more minorities because I already knew the story. I don't think pharma was surprised with the numbers either because they've always known it was high proportional to you know 90% European white males for these drug trials. And so the story is, look, we cannot move forward with any type of future of medicine if we continue to use the same data set that is incomplete. The data set is incomplete. We don't have any women in there. We don't have any minorities in there. How could this be precision medicine? And so, you know, I've been able to craft a story around it. You're just not doing precision medicine if you don't have inclusivity of, you know, minorities and women in the trials. And here are the ramifications that's going to happen if we don't start including those. And so, you know, I think what you've seen over the last two years, this push now to have a lot more, you know, uh, representation in the trials because they now understand the, uh, the, the uh, you know, the, the side effect of not being able to have novel therapy and, and drug products that could benefit everyone and increase their bottom line, of course. So there's always that, that increase in the bottom line. But uh, I think, yeah, driving the story, um, showing that vision, but, you know, like you said, the more innovative it is and the more unknown it is to, to, to VCs, you'll spend, you know, a lot more time trying to convey that, that story in order to get them to invest that first seed round. What have you learned about the fundraising process? Because I've never raised like $2 million, but I hear people say your deck is too long. You know, you just need that eight to 12 slide deck. Like talk to us about that. Yeah. You know what, man, it's, it's like going to school, right? You know, you have your curriculum and they say, study this, this will be on the test. But you know, what I have learned um, over my time of pitching um, your first set of money is going to come from, that individual believing in you to carry out that mission. Um, that's what I've started to realize is that, you know, uh, the tech is fine, the team, but they really want to know, you know, are you the guy to, to kind of deliver this, right? And so, you know, what I've been fortunate, you know, both times because of my background, because of, you know, the the, the traction that I've had in the healthcare space you know, I've not had that come up as a, as a, as a, you know, as a de facto or a default of me starting these ventures because I've gone through those stages, right? I've been a medic in the military. I've worked in healthcare systems. 
I've done research in the healthcare system, and these are areas of my expertise as an SME that helps me be prepared. Not going to be know everything, right? But you know, you're able to kind of show that you have that track record and the credibility to kind of pull this off. So yeah, for me, what I've learned, yeah, the 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 more you're able to convey to the investors that you're the right person to kind of carry this out, de-risk the their appetite to put in that first one to two million dollars. And what you're really looking for is that one investor group or that one individual to believe in you above all else, to create that trust and that credibility, because when they invest, then they show other people it's okay to invest as well. Yeah. That's that's the goal. The goal is to get that first investor in there um, that that sees and believes. For us, we lucked out because I, I ended up with an investor that believed in us and uh, in, invested. And then I turn around and I pitched the proof of concept to Johnson and Johnson, and they uh, also gave an award funding. You know, so so that then helps with that credibility and the proof of concept. And now we can kind of take that win behind our sales and actually, you know, move into, you know, larger arrays and start to really build out the product. And that, so in that case, that $175,000 is small compared to the stamp of approval, having the Johnson and Johnson brand associated with your venture with dollars in as you start to move on to the next level. Absolutely. So yeah, that's, that's the goal. And that's, Really what I wanted to do, like I said, they've been on my radar as one of the target customers. They get, they're a customer as well. So now I've gotten funding from a potential customer down the road. So, you know, I'm not only building out the technology, but they could be one of my first customer that uh, ends up purchasing my technology down the road. Or purchasing the company down the road, too. Hey, hey, you know what? I'll take that, too. I'll take the check. Speaking into <laughs> existence. So, you know, I'm a, I got a girlfriend, you know, I don't have any kids or anything, but one of the things I'm trying to be more conscious of is a lot of our listeners do have families and they, you know, they're, they're trying to fight the entrepreneurial fight while taking care of kids, taking care of their spouses. And that's not something you see a lot, you know, on like the cover of tech crunch and all these different spaces. How have you managed to fundraise, run the venture and take care of your family? Man, that is a, uh, it's been a struggle. You know, again, I think, you know, why it's a struggle is because you just see the, you know, the, the, you know, the, the discrepancy between fundraise between, you know, minorities and, and, and our white counterparts. That says everything. Because think about it. If you're able to raise money at the right time, you're able to kind of balance you know, day-to-day life, you're able to pay yourself, you know, some salary from that raise. If you don't have, you're not raising the money, we're talking about 12, 18 months in Death Valley, trying to balance wife, family, you know, and then a lot of these startups in the early stage, you had to be full-time. You know, they say, are you in the boat 100%? So if you think about that, that mechanism or that ecosystem, you're not going to find a lot of minority entrepreneurs in there because those are things we have as a day-to-day responsibility. We don't have these war chests set up for us to go, you know, do trial and error for 12, 18 months. And so you see that, that the struggle, I mean, when we started, I had to leave my job, you know, $250,000 government contracting job, 
Uh, it took me three days to write the resignation letter. Uh, but, you know, you have to kind of understand that that's part of the, the, the entrepreneurship journey. And so you prepare for it the best as you can. You're not going to be able to prepare for everything. Um, at the time, I started my first startup heading out to Silicon Valley. My twin girls were graduating high school. So I was literally doing six-hour flights, going out there, doing some of the activities for the startup. But it come May, I had to come back. I had prom, I had graduation. Then I had to drive them to college, end of August. Um, so you can see the financial burden piece start to really tighten. Um, you know, around the fact that if you're not able, if you're going 12, 18 months and haven't raised money and it starts to be a concern and a question. So, yeah, I was, I was fortunate, you know, had a, had a little retirement plan from the military and, you know, um, uh, from, from working for the government. So I, I gave myself a, a nice runway. Um, uh, but you know, in fairness, my kids were a little older, so I didn't have like younger kids where, you know, a lot of the entrepreneurs um, that I'm hearing are struggling with because they have kids, you know, under five years old, six years old. My daughters were at least in their teen years, so I could be a little bit more flexible. Funding's still a big deal, uh, making sure that they had what they need. But um, overall, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a definitely a, um, it's a sacrifice and everybody sacrifices. Yeah, you weren't in a position though where you could sleep on a couch. You still had to put food in people's mouths. Exactly. Exactly. So do you think they understand what you're doing and the level you're operating at in a society? You know, we love to highlight the entertainers, the athletes, etc. But here you are trying to make the world safer for minorities using medicine. You know, when you think about soldiers, right? They're using out, outdated data you know, um, or first responders in our workforce, right? Do they, do they grasp that, you know, what you're, what you're doing? Uh, yeah, I think they're at the age now. Um, so when I was in New York working from Mount Sinai, you know, they were going to high school there. So they started to take classes that, you know, uh, resembled or talked about something or whether it was around PTSD, mental health. And they're like, yeah, this is all the stuff my dad does. <laughs> you know, so I think over the years, um, they've really kind of come to understand uh, the level that I'm operating at and the type of science that's quite cutting edge. Because again, for them, they're, they understand because that their eye condition or what they have. So they've been able to kind of, you know, do a lot more research and see, you know, and can resonate with some of the things that they see um, that I'm doing on a day-to-day. But that's because they also have that condition and they realize, you know, one of my goals in life is to make sure that my daughters are are, are um, in a better place than, you know, than I had it in this world. And so, um, that's just the burden that they have to carry. Uh, they understand now of, of the sacrifice we've made the last four years, you know, cause going from you know, living in the suburbs, having, you know, the ability to kind of, uh, take care of the things that they needed and over the last four years, they've kind of hunkered down and understand that they had to be a little trimming of the belt as far as financing, as I start to go out and, and, you know, ra- raise these ventures. That's amazing, man. Well, I'm glad they know and they can appreciate you because we appreciate you. And in the time we have left, I would love you to give some advice to our entrepreneurs that are on that road you are on 
one you're still on, but think about to, you know, when we first met back in like 2018, you know, those, those entrepreneurs that are where we were, what advice do you have for them as they continue on their own entrepreneurial journey? Um, and look at persistency, man. Um, if if you feel it, go with your gut. If you if you believe that you know whatever it is, a nonprofit, you know I watched Mike, you know, grow right in front of my eyes from that twenty five thousand that he rate, that that he won that day, and I've seen the growth with him. I think you know for the young entrepreneurs that's looking to do this, if you if you have that conviction and you're feeling in your gut, I think this is no other better time than to 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 do. Um, to be an entrepreneur, uh, it's challenges, right? But there's challenges with anything. But, you know, what I don't want to happen is I've seen a lot of innovation come out of um, our veterans and our minority community. And I think one of the hesitancy with getting in the entrepreneur game is some of the things we just talked about today, financial. But, you know, if you do believe that you have an idea and a product, um, figure out a way how to get it done. Uh, because I think what's needed right now, especially on American soil, is a lot more innovation. And I don't think the innovation is going to come from the suburbs. These are going to come from people that's experiencing things, veterans, you know, uh, minorities, women. That's where the new innovation is going to come from. And we're starting to see the, the, the purse, the wallets open up a little bit. They're not all the way open yet, but uh, we need more entrepreneurs. Um, yeah, build a solid team. Uh, you know, once you start to put your team together, you know, find folks with strengths that you don't have. Right. If you know you're not an operational type of guy, then find somebody that uh, has that operation kind of mindset. Um, you know, find individuals that complement you know, what you're looking to do. And, and you just got to go for it. Uh, but everybody's financial situation is a little different. If you can work and continue to build, you know, your side hustle, um, then do that. I don't think there's any blueprint now after COVID. So I think a lot of things, that's another thing that's been beneficial to us as minority. Before you had to pack up all your stuff and move over to California to do a startup. Now you could do everything virtually. So I think there's some barriers that's kind of been reduced to then be able to bring more entrepreneurs in because the, the requirements are a little different now. Than when, you know, Mike and I started where a lot of it was, you know, flying and, and doing six months in California um, to build out your, your your ecosystem. So, yeah, um, love to see more veterans on the show. I'm always a fan of watching Mike and the, the veterans that he brings on. Uh, but for anybody in general, you know, minorities and women, we need more innovation. And if there's something right now that's burning you, uh, take that jump, take that leap. Uh, because again, uh, you won't know until you've actually tried. Just so y'all know, from the moment I launched the podcast, Yusuf was the first one to reach out to me and say, Mr. Stedman, I'm ready for my sit down. I got the tracks in my LinkedIn and I got them on native son first. You know, and I think we was, I think that was before we launched the transition, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, I was able to circle back and uh, get him on uh, the transition because, man, just his story is just so amazing. It's such an inspiration to so many of us in the fight and those of you that are looking to get in the fight. Now, Yusuf, we've got entrepreneur, veteran entrepreneurs and military spouses tuning in from all over the country, all over the world. How, as a community, can we help elevate and amplify the work you're doing with Yusuf? I mean, the work you're doing with Indigenous. 
Like, what do you need from us? How can we help? Um, look, man, just strong support, you know, um, access to VCs, you know, if there's a, you know, I was able to, to, to speak with, um, uh, Lenore from, uh, that's on the board there at Bunker Labs. She's been able to, you know, coalesce some of the veteran communities, some of the veteran led, uh, venture groups. You know, these are the things that I think we need more of. There's a few out there now. Uh, I like to see more. And so just having a community, um, support us, you know, share, you know, you know, we're on LinkedIn, uh, share the stories that, you know, we post, but the, the ba- main thing for us is, um, you know, getting, you know, getting, getting in front of the right people, getting in front of some of these organizations that can help us amplify our message. And so, you know, that would be one of the big asks for us is just, you know, as we start to do these pitch competition, I know we, we, uh, we just, we didn't win, but we were in a, um, uh, we did the PenFed Foundation, you know, we made it to the finalists, but, you know, just get out there and vote for these, uh, veteran, uh, led companies, uh, so that the more we have, the more programs we can support, like what Mike's doing, what Bunker Labs is doing, so that we can get, you know, veterans with, with, with great ideas and, and want to do entrepreneurship, uh, get them that platform that they could definitely, uh, use and utilize. Y'all heard the man. It costs nothing. It take nothing. It takes nothing. If you come across a venture firm in healthcare, right? Make sure you pass it over to Yusuf, right? Let's get his company front and center. Let's get everybody mobilized, man. This is what it's about. It's about mobilizing our community to uplift one another, man. I'm so proud of you. I love you, brother. Man, we got to, I'm so excited for the future and I appreciate you sitting down with our audience because your time is worth $10,000 a minute and you just shared an hour of it uh, with our listeners. And so for everyone tuning in, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter for the transition at the link in the show notes. Also get plugged into Bunker Labs ecosystem by going to bunkerlabs.org. We got programs that'll take you from idea to invoice, incubate you, and position to grow alongside other founders and CEOs. We've got the Mighty Networks platform for Bunker Online. We're in there having conversations. So you do not have to go at it alone. We're here and we're supporting you on your entrepreneurial journey. So until next time, peace, love, and have a great rest of your week.